disappoint you, Kathy, but you know, sometimes pastors do disappoint. Do you remember back in the day? Maybe you don't, but back in my younger years, it was, it was very common for, for people to live in their basement as they're building their home. You know, a very kind of practical thing to do, and that's what my brother-in-law and my sister and their family did, is uh, he built his own home, but in that process, uh, they, you know, he, they put the foundation up and they put some flooring. They moved into the basement, which is really wonderful, and my sister is a clean freak, was a clean freak, and so this would drive her insane is during, like, the first year or whatever it was, during the spring rains, we had a lot of rain at one time, that's when they discovered a significant crack in the foundation. And so when those heavy rains would come, that water would just pour into their living area. So that, it took them some time, but they finally fixed that. And we remember uh, Jesus' words in the institution of the Lord's Supper. So today we're going to be talking about the church. We are the church of Jesus Christ. And what does that mean for us? So I want to first look at, uh, it's not on the, on the screen there, but, but Luke's words at one verse, and he took bread and gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, broken for you, or given for you. Uh, eat this in remembering me, or some translations, do this in remembering me. Jesus knew the church would be worshiping him for generations to come. And his plan from the very beginning was to build a flawless foundation through his blood sacrifice and death until he comes again in glory. So I'm going to talk about three characteristics of the church today. Now, you can really add tons of them, but we can't be here more than, what, two hours today? So it take many hours to, to really uh, touch on, the, on them all. But my first one is divine proclamation. We're going to look at Matthew 16, 15 through 18. And Jesus said, but what about you? See, what's happening here, he had the, the disciples with him, and there was, many, there was a conversation, there was a buzz. Who was Jesus? Was he a great prophet? Some thought he was just a great prophet. Was he Elijah? Did he come? Was he, you know, just on and on and on. They had all these uh, people had their ideas about who Jesus was. Can you imagine being back in the day of Jesus? All these miracles that he was performing, who is this guy? Who is he? You know, is he greater than Moses? Is he greater than Abraham? Who is he? So questions were, and then Jesus, with his disciples, then he turned to them and he said, who do you say that I am? Remember that? Okay. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, 
the rock referring to Jesus, the firm foundation that cannot be removed. I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. First, Jesus asked his disciples, what that question? Who do you say I am? Then Peter, then Peter answered clearly, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus did not force Peter to say this. No, Peter answered, his answer was based on a really the experience with Jesus and not simply, not simply a euphoric response of seeing Jesus turn the water into the wine or calming the storm or healing the sick or raising the dead or walking on water. No. But a simple response. You are, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. It's one thing. There's nothing wrong with having emotions. Not at all. They had them. But Jesus said, this is a time, he said, tell me plainly, without any emotion, who am I? Who am I? You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. And Jesus replied in verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Here, theologians have, been, have really questioned what he really meant when he said son of Jonah. Perhaps it was a name for John, or perhaps it was a sign of Jonah. So you can speculate however you want on that, on that uh, response, but there wasn't really the case. Whatever the case, Jesus, Peter's response was not divine he was not of human origin, not human-driven, but of a divine-driven proclamation. And this, my friends, was a game-changer. From that moment on, Jesus shared explicit detail of his upcoming passion. Are you with me? Verse 18, Jesus introduced a new element in the church, and you, and I tell you, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The church is not simply a building or an institution, religious institution, but is a community. We are a community of brothers and sisters who are in fellowship with Jesus Christ. That is who we are. Jesus knew that between his first coming and what's, what's Christmas? Christmas is what? The first, we call it the first advent. Jesus' first coming. He comes to the earth born as a child. And then Jesus knew there'd be a time, there'd be a significant period of time between his birth and his death, his coming again. And during this waiting period, he knew that we all would need uh, spiritual nourishing. In comes that nourishment, the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit isn't just given to us for the spiritual gifts. It's to give us in remembrance of all that Jesus Christ has done for us. Jesus said, I'm not going to be here physically, but I'm going to give you my own spirit, and my own spirit will reveal to you my own spirit will come to you and give you all that you'll need to live for me and for each other and for the church, okay? So, 
you know, that's very important for us to really understand. You know, it is interesting. I'm just saying that for many churches, the Holy Spirit is a holy mystery. They don't really talk about it. They talk about the Holy Spirit just in passing. Oh, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Never really get into the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We're going to do that just a little bit this morning because this is really is a sermon within itself talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I remember I took a class a test in my calling years ago at Moody Bible Institute, and I did a, I took a class on the Holy Spirit for a whole semester, and man, I tell you, that was one great, that's one of the best classes I think I've ever attended. Learned so much uh, and was challenged a lot by that class, but we need to understand the ministry of of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Okay. John 14, 15 through eight, uh, 18. Jesus here had no intention of leaving them or us at the mercy of a fallen world. He had been with his disciples for three years. Three years he was with them. How could they survive without Jesus' physical presence. Who would teach them? Who would encourage them? Who would empower them? So Jesus encouraged them with these words from verse 18. We're going from the bottom, working to the top in this scripture passage. I will not leave you as orphans, Jesus said. I will come to you. Jesus would send the Holy Spirit in his absence. Now, this sounds very fundamental to most of you, understand. This is Christianity 101. But Paul always encouraged Christianity 101. How about you? Some of you say, boring, heard this many, many times again. How many times, now I can speak for myself, have I prayed? And I know, I know that when I pray that I'm giving my things to Jesus, my worries to Christ, whatever, it's all biblical and I preach it, and I talk about it, but how many times do I forget? And I start, my humanism gets in there, and I start to worry. I need reminders of Jesus as Holy Spirit all the time. I don't ever want to leave that, because my fear is of arrogance or whatever. I always want, Jesus has a way of keeping us all humble. When you think that you're above this, then look out, because you will be humbled. You know, the Bible is fundamental. It's not a, a, a theological treatment that is so complex. If the Holy Spirit is in you, you can, we're going to be talking about this a little later, then he will help you interpret his word. Amen? And amen. So meaning the Holy Spirit would be Jesus' presence, Teacher, helper, and convictor among them. Now, let's look at verses 15 through 17. Again, Jesus, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, and he lives with you and will be in you. Hmm. 
I believe Jesus was saying to his disciples that he would be with them personally. He would be in the church by his very, very Holy Spirit. Friends through the ages, all believers of Jesus Christ have the Holy Spirit to help them understand, to teach them, to empower them, to enjoy his power and presence forever and ever. Listen to me. While it is good to have reference tools, today, more than any time in our history, we have tools in the faith. We have theological tools. We have, we have Bible dictionaries. We have concordances. We have tons of commentaries. Some of those commentaries, though you don't want to read because they're too far in one direction, I believe. But anyway... We have all of these things that we can use at our disposal. You can take your, on your, you know, phones or whatever. If you want to find some commentaries on the Bible or whatever, you can just punch it in. You've got it. Those are wonderful things. They really are. And sometimes you need maybe that mature Christian who's been around the block a few times. If you're in a Bible study or in a small group or if you're reading a block of Scripture and you don't really understand it, then it's good to say, hey, could you give me an insight on this? And tell me about it. That's good. That's wonderful. However, 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 I would encourage all of us, and there again, I hope and pray I'm speaking and preaching to the choir here, that you ask the Holy Spirit, ask the Holy Spirit for insight for insight in growing in your faith, understanding the word, understanding how to apply it. Now, I, every day, like you, I'm in the word. I'm doing my devotionals. When I pick up the Bible to do my own personal devotionals, you know, I ask the Holy Spirit to give me wisdom, to give me insight, to help me apply what I am reading and understand to apply to my life. That's what we should do and ask the Holy Spirit to help us put God's words into action. That's it. So if this old pastor does that, then I'm just saying that, that this keeps me humble because I can never, ever, you know, I can, same with you, we can take a, block, a, a scripture passage and I can read it, and one day I can get one thing out of it, the next day God gives me another thing. That's the way it works. There's not one passage fits all, or one meaning fits all. Does that make any sense to you? Okay. Becca said, please get this thing over with. I'm so tired. Get home. Okay. So, Becca, good news. Thought number three. Yay. We're going to be talking about the 12 disciples, or 12 apostles. Now, as you look at Luke, Jesus prayed and prayed and prayed uh, before he called these apostles. So from Jesus' perspective and those that followed Christ, they were, they were was anointed. 
But for those that didn't believe Christ, didn't believe in their message, they were trying to, to push on people, they were the dirty dozen. But we're going to be talking about the good guys, the apostles. And so let me start by uh, reading uh, from Luke chapter 6, 12 through 16. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray. And he spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who is called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Now, the world, I believe, has not changed its values. Jesus Christ, in my opinion, is no more popular today than it was some 2,000 years ago. The population is different. It has shifted. But we still have the same problems of people rejecting Christ as they did 2,000 years ago. However, the, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the entire Old Testament points to the Messiah. For example, Jesus' prophetic role was foretold in Deuteronomy 18 15 through 20. Jesus' sufferings were prophesied in, what, Psalm 22? Read all of Psalm 22, as well as Isaiah 53. And Jesus' resurrection was talked about in, in Psalm 16, verses 9 and 11. And then you go again to Isaiah 53, 10 and 11. Okay, we have all that Old Testament evidence, all of that before us. Then we move into the New Testament, okay? We have all these eyewitnesses, all these uh, representatives, and then we have the apostles, the 12, okay? And then, of course, one was a traitor, but you read the book of Acts, then, then they had to find that 12th apostle. Who was it, church? Who can tell me? Who was the 12th apostle? You didn't think this was going to be a test, did you? Yeah. yeah. Or Matthias, whatever, however you want to. Want. Okay, so he was called. Now, who were they? Some would say they were the dirty dozen. They consisted of fishermen. They consisted of a despised tax collector, a doubter, and two hotheads. Do you remember the hotheads, their names? James and John, the hotheads. And, of course, later on, we have to include the apostle Paul. He came in, and who was Paul? He was once a fanatical Pharisee. So, in many ways, he was screwed up as well. And then, outside of the apostle, what do we have? We have Luke, the physician, right? We have Luke, we have Mark. We have James, we have, we have Jude. 
And listen to this. We have received from them the New Testament words inspired by the Holy Spirit as God's revelation to us which are also foundational for our faith and and beliefs. I'm going to get back to that uh, soon, but I just want to uh, share that with you. And all of these pointed to Jesus' victory over death. See, if somebody asks you, how was the Bible written, how would you respond? Now, you guys have been Christians for a long, long time. How would you respond to, to the Word of God? How was it written? How did all this come, come to play? Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He took their personalities. He took their characteristics. He took their abilities. He took, took their strengths to mold and shape them for God's purpose. He didn't, you know, yes, God makes all things new. Yes, God transforms us, but he does not change our personalities. I'm the same that I was before Christ. You are too. You have those same character, but God took our personalities, our characteristics, and through his spirit, he molded them into his purposes. You see? So all scriptures, God breathed literally. It wasn't what I said here, what I'm saying. Those apostles, they're not their words. God used them, yes. Their styles are different. If you do study of the word of God, you can see that, that Paul's Greek was different than the others. He was a very educated man, but God still used his education for his purposes. It doesn't change the truth of the, of the, of the word because the Bible says what? Scripture is God-breathed. He breathed in them. They're not their thoughts. They're God's thoughts. He simply used, you know, their personality. Does that make any sense to you? I don't want you to think I'm, this is heresy up here or whatever, but it's really true. That's the beauty of God. He uses his people, you know, for his own purposes. What a wonderful thing, you know, that is. How God is so, how can we even comprehend God? He is so, the creator is so awesome, and yet he says, you know what? I'm going to use that crazy fisherman over there. I'm going to use that, that, those two hotheads over there that just kind of beat each other up all the time. I'm going to use that Peter, and this guy is so radical. I'm going to use... But he did. He used them for his purpose. God ministers through his people. God ministers through his people. As Christians today, I believe we must act. We must act. Well, we step out of our culture's values and put Christ at the center to have faith in him and follow him? Or will we be like the apostles? Will we be like those writers of the Bible and also other biblical heroes and be instruments, be instruments of spiritual change in this modern broken world? We are the church. We are the body of Christ. We are called 
to make a difference in this world. That's our calling. We're not simply called to come to church and to say hello to each other and listen to a message, go home and forget about it until next Sunday. We're called to live it out. We're called to proclaim it to others, to your neighbors or whatever. We're called to do that. All of us are. That's our calling. Amen? That's it. That's why we're here. And then I think of, you know, what is our calling then? And this is, as we get into the communion, what we're doing is we're basically telling people we are here because of this table. We are here because we follow the one who died on that cross for our sins. We're here because of the one who, when we die as believers in Jesus Christ, we will join him for eternity. We are here as believers in Jesus Christ to share that good news with other people, find our way. You know what could be? It might not be that you give somebody the Bible and say, well, do you do love Jesus? Well, Jesus loves you. It could start out by you just being a friend, by showing love to other people, reaching out to them. When they see your love, when they see who you are, then that hopefully that would lead them to ask why are you like this? Why are you so loving kind? Why are you doing this? That's a great opening, isn't it? It's a great opening. You know, I'm a pastor. I don't beat the drum. You know, you won't find me. I'm not saying it's wrong, Sue. I'm not saying it's wrong. But I can't stand on the corner and hand out Bible and say, if you don't read this, you don't accept Jesus, you're going to hell. That's not me. That's not me. I don't... That, that's just not me at all. But you've got to find, you got to find your place where God wants you. You know, I look around, Becca's found her place. Because you cannot go to a worship night and not sense to feel the Holy Spirit moving in her ministry. And if you're doing it, whatever your ministry is, for your own glory, then you're doing it wrong. It's all for him. If this church, and I'm, I'm trusting God's going to build this church bigger and stronger, shame on us if any of us will start patting ourselves on the back and say how good we are. It's all because of him using you, all of you. That's so cool about this. Let's kind of be like the 12 and just say, okay, we're going to rally around Christ. Okay, Jesus, what does he want us to do? How can we make this church grow? How can we grow in our faith? How can we help a brother, a sister, an aunt, an uncle, whatever, grow in faith? Do this in remembrance of him. You know, God had the perfect plan. And when he met with his disciples on that first night for communion, that's when really that plan started to kick in. So he gathered with his disciples. It was customary back in Jesus' day. They're lounging around. They're not in chairs. They're not around the table. They're just kind of lounging around and on an elbow or whatever, and, they're in, you know, and Jesus is speaking to them. 
they had no clue what he was talking about at that really very moment. They had no clue that in a very, very short period of time after that he would be arrested and he would be brutalized and humiliated for the world. I was once a skeptical. I'm telling you, there's too much. If you just want to look at the physical evidence, the empirical evidence, it is so, so there. But for me, what is the kicker is when I see a Mike Dolsky, I see a Mike Hand. I see, I see Victor. I see so many people that their lives have been changed by Jesus Christ. You can't make that up. You can't. So Jesus had all of this in mind when he gathered those 12. And after praying, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Imagine yourself being there at that moment. What does this mean? Oh, Lord Jesus, we praise you and thank you, Lord, that once again you have reminded us how your body was abused, how you were tortured, how you were humiliated. So much so that you died. God, help us to remember. Help us never to forget why we are here. Then Jesus took the cup after supper poured and said, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this in remembering me. Before we pray for the cup, be there some 2,000 years ago. After Jesus said that, that same night, he was taken out and he prayed in agony in the garden because he knew what was going to happen to him. Gracious Heavenly Father, and our wonderful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your great sacrifice on that cross, that your blood shed for us to draw us closer to you. We give you praise. Let us eat and drink. We love you, Lord. And Lord, 
for me, this table reminds me of just how much you love all of us, warts and all. That you died, you sacrificed it all for us. To have fellowship with you now and forever. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for the greatest news ever. Your victory over death. Salvation through the cross. Eternal life out of your love. We thank you, Lord. And we give you praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. How do you feel? Yeah, it's all thumbs up, isn't it? It really is. So, we have the church. We have a call. We, it's all centered around the table. So, what do you suppose that Jesus would say to each and every one of us right now? Go and serve your king. Go and serve. God bless you and have a great day.